So how can I help that part feel anchored back to the present? How can I bring more safety to this present moment so that I can support, you know, assuming that this makes complete sense within my context and my lived experience? Hey, welcome to Our Power is Within podcast. I'm your host, Chasmith, and my mission for this podcast is to inspire you to take your power back and to realize that you are the healer that you have been looking for all along. I believe that we are all capable of healing in mind, in body, and in soul. Today's episode is sponsored by Primal Trust Academy and Community, which is created by a dear friend of mine, Dr. Kathleen King. Primal Trust is a membership site that helps you to find freedom from chronic illness and trauma, and it is quickly growing as one of the largest worldwide online healing communities, and it is a multifaceted membership. This membership includes access to Regulate, which is a level one comprehensive program to self-regulate the brain and nervous system, focusing on a top-down and bottom-up approach. Then we have the level two mentorship where we go deeper into the inner work of attachment and trauma healing. And we have the all new level three program called expansion and integration, which is all about supporting us as we emerge back into life after a period of chronic illness, burnout, or dysregulation. I am so excited about this new level three program because I don't know about you, but I know that when I was first integrating back into life, I felt lost and would have loved some guidance and support around that and possibly a group of people to move through this period of time with together in collaboration. So I'm very stoked for this level three. But in addition to the level one through three programs, We also have access to study groups, forum support, daily life classes, and so much more. So click the link in the show notes today and use the code OPIW for 5% off. Our guest today is Katie LaSalle. Katie is an IFS coach amongst other things, and she is such a treat, you guys. Oh my gosh. I had such a great time chatting with her and picking her brain. I have had other podcast episodes break down the IFS, Internal Family Systems Model. So today, I really didn't want to spend much time on theory, and instead, we got right into the practical matters of it all. Katie gives us some practical examples so that we can walk away today understanding how to integrate more compassion and curiosity into our lives immediately so that we can start to get to know our parts in a better way. I really love this chat and I hope you enjoy it too. All right, Katie, thank you so much for being here with me today. Yeah, so excited for this conversation. Yeah, it's nice to finally meet you. For everyone listening, I think what we're going to be doing today is talking a little bit about your own personal journey, which was really a catalyst for your professional journey these days. And think we're going to talk about a little bit and dig into the IFS, internal family systems, which is something that you work closely with in your own personal practice, which is exciting. I've had one other person really break the IFS, you know, 
down for people listening. We kind of did a nice deep dive into the internal family systems and what it was. And so that was a long time ago, though. That was a really old episode. So it'll be good to give everybody who's tuned in today and who maybe missed that one a refresher. But we won't go, maybe we won't go too deep. Maybe we will. I don't know. We'll see where it takes us. (laughs) Sounds great to me. Good. So what I think we're going to do is actually just start out with letting you kind of explain to us what I already kind of mentioned, which is what led you into the line of work that you're doing now through your own personal journey. Mm, Yeah. So I was in the corporate world for about 13 years. When I left, I was working in an executive position. I was managing over 100 people running around all the time really just always thinking about work and focused on work. And I'd been dealing with symptoms for years and years and years, but they had kind of been quiet enough. It was like, okay, you've got insomnia, you've got digestive issues, you've got chronic tension and pain in your body. But yeah, you know, everyone, heavy air quotes, everyone deals with these things, right? Just just ignore it. Just keep going. And A lot of us have probably read or heard of the book, The Body Says No, and my body had been whispering no, and then it had been saying no, and then it screamed no. (laughs) And what happened was I had a really horrific sciatic pain event, actually ended up needing back surgery. And also while I was within that and recovering from back surgery, developed chronic daily for about a year migraines. And along with that, just crippling fatigue, really just an inability to do more than one or two things in a day. And I said, okay, not immediately. At first I said, oh my gosh, what's happening? This is terrible and terrifying and I don't know what to do. But eventually (laughs) I said, all right, (laughs) I need to do something really, really different. And I had a really great therapist that I was working with who introduced me to IFS, Internal Family Systems. And we started using it within the context of my own therapy, but it spoke to my system so much that I just, I wanted to go deeper. I read all the therapy manuals. I read all of kind of like the books that were intended for clients. And then I applied and uh, got accepted to get IFS trained myself. And it's all really taken off from there. That's really awesome. Wait, so, okay, I'm going to backtrack just a little. So at what point did you actually, after your body was like really screaming no, when did you actually realize, oh shit, I need to quit my corporate job? (laughs) It had been kind of in process and I'd had several fits and starts. So I've always done one-on-one things kind of on the side. I coach, actually I coach circus. So I coach flying trapeze and handstands. Wow. Yeah. And I was a personal trainer at one point. I used to do powerlifting. I had my guy went to yoga teacher training. So there was always like this pull in me to do something that was more wellness related and more kind of direct interaction related. But I was terrified. Parts of me were terrified. They were like, well, that's not safe. I can't make money. It's not heavy air quotes again, respectable, right? Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. So when it all started, I'm going to say falling apart, but I mean that in a good way. (laughs) I think I knew that I was going to end up in some sort of like one-on-one coaching or practitioner space. And I had been getting a a master's degree in, in organizational leadership because I was thinking, oh, I'll go and I'll do leadership coaching. And 
I do do still do some leadership coaching, but the more that I felt into this kind of like therapeutic healing space, the more I was like, well, this is what is making everything feel like this is what I want to move toward. So I didn't leave my corporate career all at once. The first thing I did is I actually requested to change roles. So I worked part-time for the company that I'd been at for about seven years. I worked part-time for, I think, eight months while I was finishing my master's and while I was, at that time, hoping that I was going to stabilize my physical condition. I found out I needed back surgery actually three days after I had quit (laughs) my corporate job for good. Were you already in therapy at this time or was this something that you started afterwards? Yeah, I started kind of before I dropped to part time, but around the time I was having anxiety towards the very beginning of COVID, my anxiety spiked in a way that felt really unmanageable. And that's when I initially went back to therapy. Mm. And was therapy helpful prior to you actually integrating IFS? Or like what sparked your therapist to decide to start pulling in the IFS model to support you? Yeah. So I've been in a lot of therapy in my life, but I would say that this is the first therapy that has really addressed the somatics. So the the feeling with and the being with beyond the talking about. And I think that was already happening within this therapeutic space before IFS got pulled in, although it did get pulled in fairly early on. And that was what was really new about it to me. And in IFS terminology, you know, we talk about you have all these different parts of you and they're, they're organized in your system potentially to, to take on roles, sometimes chosen and sometimes thrust upon them to help you stay safe. And I had so many, I'm going to call them cognitive rationalizing parts that were like, okay, you're going to exist within capitalism. You're going to exist within corporate world. You need to be well-spoken. You need to be very self-reflective. But I didn't know how to be with my emotions or be with my body or not be kind of disconnected from that. So she was bringing in all sorts of different methods in order to help me start to feel safe enough to really feel some of the trauma that was trapped in my body. Gotcha. And just, I'm still trying to get a a timeline here because I'm Mm. just curious. Yeah. So you were already doing some of this parts work before you really ended up getting the big no and having like the onset of daily migraines and like the worst insomnia, the worst digestive issues. So although you were in this therapy, you kind of had to get worse before you got better. 100%. And that was really hard. Knowing what you know now, looking back in hindsight, does that make sense to you? Or why do you suppose that you did get worse before better? Was it completely circumstantial because you weren't leaving your job fast enough? Or was it part of the healing process as you began to do this deeper layered healing work? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have a couple different thoughts. The main one is, I think that the parts of me that I started to pay attention to were so used to being ignored and neglected that when some attention started to go there, they really very understandably grabbed onto that and said, I am not letting you shove me down again. That's part of the sense that that I've chosen to make of it. Mm-hmm. And I also wonder if nervous system wise, I had just gotten to a point where 
it had all just accumulated. And as I was removing the layers in between, kind of the protective, some of the dissociation, some of the numbing, all these things that had enabled me to continue to function, I was intentionally kind of examining and forming relationships with those parts that had served those functions. And it wasn't really working that way anymore. So I was feeling everything more. It was all coming into my system and flooding my system. I think it was, you know, partially a choice and partially just those ignored parts said, you are not shoving me back in that box again. Mm. And what does that look like when they start feeling that way or showing up that way? For somebody who's listening, like what might be an indicator that that's happening? So at that time, it was a mix of really heavy kind of bodily sensations. So feeling overwhelmed by panic, feeling an enormous amount of grief, just really crying quite a lot, and feeling like chronic stiffness and tension and pain in my muscles. Sleep has always been an issue for me. So I actually don't feel like my sleep necessarily got worse before it got better. But just that sensitivity to the nights I didn't sleep well, it would feel like my body was just on edge, you know, like everything was louder and all the lights were brighter and living life just felt like everything was more aggressive toward me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If somebody's listening and say they're doing healing work, whether it's like through internal family systems or even just somatic experiencing or anything at all that's helping them to finally connect with their parts or these sensations, and then they have this experience where things start to get louder, like you said, where all of a sudden there maybe is an increase in anxiety or panic or muscular tension. What advice or insights would you give them? Is this a bad thing? Is this actually like, no, this is good. This is the healing. This is the magic sauce. And if that's the case, what are some insights or tools that can support them to move through it in the most effective way possible? Yeah. I think only the person in that situation can decide the context of whether it's moving them closer to healing or further away from healing. So I wouldn't say I'd put a judgment on that. But what I would offer is first offering yourself just bottomless compassion, just saying to yourself, this sucks. This really sucks. This feels hard. It feels overwhelming. You know, really naming everything you're feeling. Like my body hurts and that sucks. I'm terrified and it feels like I can't handle it. And that is brutal. Meeting with that compassion first, not only does it help some of those parts of you that might be holding that to feel seen and feel supported. It also helps you to get some space between you, kind of your core self, and the part of you that is feeling really overwhelmed or is feeling really bad, which helps you to get enough space to offer support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Space between the doing and the experiencing of it. Yeah. Like the observing of that the witnessing of it versus the experiencing of it. Yeah, exactly. Fostering that ability to be with yeah, and to help hold. And you said that each individual can only determine on their own if it's hindering or helping. What would be some ways that somebody would know? Mm. Always getting curious. So rather than judging either internally or kind of applying external judgment to something like, oh, I heard 
Katie say on a podcast that it's always bad when you're being flooded with emotions. So I know this is bad, right? Just really learning to communicate with and tune into your intuition. I love that, you know, the title of this podcast, right? Like it's all in you. It's just how do you connect to it and how do you know? And that can be a very individual process. But practically, I think that looks like turning curiosity toward and saying, if in the context of everything that's happened to me, this actually makes complete sense, what might it mean? And then if you have a sense of, oh, you know, the last time I felt this way in my body, this other really terrifying thing was happening. And there's a part of me that maybe thinks that that's happening right now. So how can I help that part feel anchored back to the present? How can I bring more safety to this present moment so that I can support, you know, assuming that this makes complete sense within my context and my lived experience? I like that. I like the preface, like to assume that it does make complete sense because the more we learn about everything happening in our bodies, the more we understand that we actually do make complete sense, even when it seems so random. Even when you can't initially pinpoint it, you're like, oh, this is so random. It just came out of nowhere, left field. Like, nope, I'm not making any sense. It's the clearer you get, the more you're like, yeah, perfect sense, always 100%. That's exactly right. And, you know, also, again, getting a little meta, acknowledging that even that is really hard, you know, because that is, I love the quote that the opposite of anxiety is trust in your future self. And you may not know why something that's happening that feels really overwhelming and impossible makes sense right at this very moment. And sometimes it involves trusting that it will make sense. And that's hard, especially for trauma survivors, you know, people who haven't necessarily experienced a felt sense of safety in their bodies, trusting that that is ahead and then that all the other things will make sense. Mm, I just have so much empathy for that. Mm -hmm. What helped you, do you think, turn things around? Because as we're talking about this, we've already gotten clear that you actually were already doing IFS. You already had a therapist. You were already aware of some of this stuff, and yet your body continued to get louder and louder. And then yet you have continued that line of work and now you're at a place where you have experienced a ton of relief. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but your website said that you went from daily migraines to now maybe like a migraine or so a month that's manageable. And so what do you think shifted for you? Was it just getting to deeper layers of parts work or what else was a part of that? Yeah. I am always in support of a multifaceted approach. Another kind of quote that I really like is, you're not a clinical trial. You don't have to do one thing at once. And sometimes that means it can be hard to pinpoint exactly what helped in hindsight. But we don't necessarily have to do that, right? The point is, I think, to get that relief. And one of the things that I think really helped me with my migraines is I'm on preventative Botox. Now, I have started to fade that out and my headaches have not come back and increased, which supports my scientist parts theory that I've also been addressing the underlying causes. But the reason why I mention that is I think it's really 
important to give yourself permission to do things to get you enough relief to do some of the deeper work. Yeah, exactly. I did not have the resources to do deeper work when I had a migraine all the time, right? Mm -mm. Migraines, I mean, even when I was consistently brain retraining, if it was a migraine day, like it wasn't happening, the brain retraining wasn't happening. You have no capacity to have any kind of like a mental focus. No, no, no. it's not. It's, it's not even it's just such the pain. intense pain yep. that you can't like see anything clearly through it. And yep. so, yep. yeah, you're, I love that you're saying this because yeah, we can get so regimented or so rigid in our belief systems. And I'm so guilty of this where we get so like dogmatic almost, you know, and we want to believe it's just going to be this one thing and we can't do these other things. And yeah, like how you said, Hey, I'm using a tool to help me to get the relief I need to be able to tune in and focus on this deeper layer of healing. And I think also I'd be curious. I mean, this is just like my little kind of science curiosity brain because a lot of times, you know, with a lot of different types of chronic pains and stuff, the brain simply just gets stuck in a feedback loop. And perhaps the Botox could have been something that just really helped to provide enough relief for long enough for the brain to self-correct those feedback loops that it was stuck in. That's exactly what I think happened. I think that I, I've identified some parts of me that were both intentionally and unintentionally causing my migraines. Mm. And... I think that there is something in it becomes almost, I'm going to call it a muscular habit. Uh huh. So one of the parts that was causing my migraines inadvertently, I had a really strong caregiving part in a really like over-functioning, over-care, coming from a place of survival energy. I have to take care of you in order for me to feel okay. And part of that manifested as it was really important to this part of me to show empathy with my face. And to really be very attuned with my expressions. So unconsciously, it was using my face to kind of shape it into whatever might appear to be the most empathetic, the most I understand you, like really using my musculature Mm. to communicate that. So that was causing this enormous amount of tension in my jaw, you know, in the masseter muscles, the temporalis muscles, which are up here. And that was a pattern that was going straight to tension headache, which was then escalating to migraine. Yeah, that's crazy. It's neat that you figured that out, though. So fun when we can figure these things out. Right? Yeah. And I had another one that was aware it was giving me migraines because it was doing it to get me out of things. It was a part that was like, you're overcommitting. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This isn't safe. I think I have that part, too. Because I, I see that as a connection often, like, oh, wait, is, am I getting this migraine right now? Because I didn't, because it's easier for me to get this migraine than to just like stand in my truth and say no. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So there, So it was just like complex trauma. It was the causes of my migraines. The reasons I was getting migraines were complex and they took time and energy and space to work through and addressing saying to my muscles, like, no, I am going to partially paralyze you with Botox so you can't get into this escalation pattern of a migraine, gave me the space to figure that out. 
So I think everyone should feel empowered, or I hope everyone feels empowered to take advantage of whatever method you have and not feel like you have to be rigid in your approach. Oh, I have to be able to exactly trace back. This is what did it. No. Yeah. This dogmatic approach can sometimes show up too. Once we, you know, as many people, they go from the Western medical world to like the functional medicine world and eventually find the mind body medicine world. And then they, I think, you know, and again, I'm fully guilty of this wanting so badly to believe it's going to be 100% brain retraining. And I never need another anything ever again from the Western medicine world to support my healing. And, you know, we try things like a detox or something, and it's maybe not the right timing. And then because we got worse, we're like, that something like that will never be good again. And we can get so rigid in this belief. But, um, or, you know, it could just be a matter of like wanting so badly to believe that like, if I just heal my trauma, I'm going to heal every chronic symptom without any other support. And that can really limit us from potential that we might have in the same way that somebody who refuses to do the emotional work might be limiting themselves, you know? Yes. I think there's so many good points in what you just said. But you know, there can be a lot of guilt. I think I wonder for other people too, for myself, what happened was when I started understanding the world of mind-body medicine and, and brain retraining and regulation, I put this intense amount of pressure on myself that this is the solution. And then I wanted to do it so much. And if I wasn't getting all the healing results, then I must have not been doing it good enough or right enough. And the idea of relying on a medicine or an alternative, you know, kind of physical support almost made me feel like I was failing or because there's a lot of stigma in the community around these this stuff. You can almost feel like it's you start labeling it almost bad, you know, and then you have this negative perception and that comes with this undertone and these feelings or shame or guilt or, you know, stress. And so it's interesting to just notice all of that that's going on underneath and see if you can separate yourself from it and be curious to see like, well, wait, could this actually help me? And could I approach this without feeling like a failure or like guilty in any capacity? Yeah. And that's where for me going back to IFS is gives that path because in the way that IFS talks about it, all of those different feelings are coming from different parts of you. And again, just assuming that they all have a really good reason for how they're feeling or what they're trying to encourage you to do. I have a part that never wants me to take medication because it's terrified of being dependent on something that might be taken away. And I think that's a really normal, common feeling for a lot of trauma survivors. Gosh, just so much compassion for that. Like, of course, you don't want to be dependent on anything that you think might be taken away. That's terrifying. And that the parts of us that really want one thing to be the answer, that's so understandable too. Is that a part? I would guess it would be, but I don't. It's a common part, huh? (laughs) In this community? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. If we get back to curiosity, if that was a part, how would it make sense Well, things are a lot easier when you have one answer. They feel a lot safer and less scary when you have a protocol you can follow and it'll fix everything. 
yeah. whether that protocol is a detox or, uh, you know, a brain retraining program or a nervous system program, whatever it is, if it's like one thing you can follow, that does feel safer. Yep. And especially if you, again, if you have developmental trauma where you didn't have clear guidelines for what was safe, there's potentially a part of you that's always seeking that or that's seeking that until they kind of get that attention and realize that you know what you need, right. that you have your own kind of sta- safe, sturdy leader inside of you that can make those decisions. And those young parts of us don't have to make those decisions. And that's, you know, another word for that's reparenting. It's reparenting work. How do we give the parts of us that are so young that sturdy parent that they maybe never had or that they really need? How do we? Well, yeah. So so within IFS terminology, it's helping your parts feel safe enough to unblend from what we call yourself, which is kind of that feeling of compassion, curiosity, there's eight C's, calm, clarity, confidence, courage, creativity, that expansive, grounded, present energy that allows you to know kind of what time you're in, to know that you're right here right now, and to feel like, oh, I have what I need right here right now. And I can support these parts of me that maybe aren't aware of how old I am now. There's a lot of experiences in IFS where you'll be getting to know a part and you'll say to the part, well, how old do you think you know the client is? And the part will say without hesitation, two, five, ten. And when you go back to neurobiology, I'm not a neurobiologist, but I do study trauma. And one of the big things about how trauma gets stored and what trauma does is it disrupts our sense of time and our ability to correctly file memories. So um, if you've ever talked about EMDR, that's a trauma processing tool that kind of uses bilateral stimulation, kind of like tapping, right? And the theory about why it works is because you pull out a memory that is hijacking your sense of time that isn't, hasn't been filed as, oh, this happened in the past, but it's not happening now. And you use that eye stimulation similar to REM sleep in order to help you actually file that memory as it happened. Yes, it was terrible, but it's not happening anymore. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And IFS is another way to do that. What are some of the very common parts that are just kind of across the board for the, you know, for the most part? Yeah. Um, so, and just to clarify terminology, so parts, we say that parts, you start with all your parts, you're born with them. And then as you experience things throughout your life, they pick up burdens or roles. So I'll, I'll name parts in terms of their roles, but the part, when you get to know the part and it's ready to kind of get rid of that burden, the part isn't the burden, but I, I will talk about them in that way. So okay. many of us have people-pleasing parts, caretaking parts, achieving parts, knowledge-seeking parts, savior parts, rebel parts, dissociating, distracting, numbing parts. These are all strategies for how do you either proactively try to avoid pain or once something happens that feels really bad and really painful, how do you reactively stop feeling that? Okay, so these parts you just named, is that the parts the burden born with or the burden? The burden. The burden. Yeah. So what's the underlying 
parts to those parts when you release the burden. I've never learned any of this. So this is all new to me. So I imagine (laughs) this is going to be good stuff for a lot of people. Yeah, it totally depends. So for example, inner critic is one that I didn't mention. That's another really common burden that a part might take up as being a critic within your system. Sometimes critics, when you are able to get them to let go of that burden or support them in choosing to let go of that burden, they might want to become a system cheerleader. Like, what does that part now want to do instead? It just depends on who you are, you know, what your system likes, what feels good to you. My inner critic, once she was unburdened, the role that she really chose and wanted to take on was helping me determine who she felt was safe for us and who wasn't, like in terms of in the external world. So parts have different personalities and they make different choices when they don't have their burdens anymore. There's not a universal, oh, behind an achiever, there's always actually this. Your achieving part or a part that's picked up an achieving burden might want to actually choose to help you to achieve, but they're choosing it. It's not survival energy anymore. Or they might say, I'm tired of this. I want to go like lie on an either metaphorical beach or literal beach. Like I don't want to do anything. So there's freedom in that. And this is such a a piece of trauma healing is it's restoring choice and agency. What do your parts want to choose to do if they don't feel that they're required to do this thing to keep you safe anymore? Mm, So that's, I get it. So they're burdened because they have this like innate feeling essentially that they need to be the ones to keep us safe. And so they're always like, safety, safety, safety. I must keep you safe. I must keep you safe. And they've been burdened through life experiences, conditioning, uh, traumas, like upbringing to think that, oh, in order to be safe, you must achieve. You must be a perfectionist. You must please everybody. You must be the good girl. And the reality is if we can strip these parts of those burdens, that deep down, they actually might want us to be at peace and feel joy and a sense of connection and um and yeah and safety but in like a different more authentic way right what does it mean that part to thrive mm-hmm. if it doesn't need to survive anymore what does thriving mean to that part and that's going to be as different between parts as it is between people mm-hmm. you know you mentioned something about reacting I have learned through, you know, just, I don't even know where at this point, just doing, you know, research and learning and all the, you know, time with this kind of work, a couple things. I have learned that, that triggers are not bad things because triggers are actually really powerful insights into unhealed wounds. So noticing if I get really triggered and activated, if I could actually step back from that and go into it with curiosity, what what am I actually really being triggered about and what might that actually have to do with? You know, it's kind of like they say, if you're driving on the road and you just get really outraged at every single other person on the road, it's probably not really that situation, but what is it? You know, another one, and I'm, I'm hoping you can speak to both of these and give us some like examples. I've recently just had somebody kind of blow my mind by saying that rumination is another thing to be really curious about. Now, in the brain returning world, we learn that rumination is a pop and we learn to just distract it right away, you know, so that we don't get stuck in the ruminating. 
But now I'm learning like, oh, not about getting stuck in the ruminating, but can I step back and actually not distract myself from it, but go lean into it and be curious? Because if this same rumination keeps showing up, what's under it? What is the driving force of this rumination? And what is it there to show me? What is actually unhealed within me or what is like still bothering me at at some level, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are both great examples. Can you, do you have anything you could add to that for anyone who's listening? Like how we could like, maybe like a really practical example of, okay, if you were ruminating about this over and over again, what could that mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that I, when I have that happening in my system, and a lot of times it's when I'm trying to fall asleep, really just bringing curiosity to that, like, is this rumination here? Because a part of me is really excited about something, and it's having trouble letting go of something it's excited about. Is it because it thinks I have to think through all of this in order to keep us safe in the future? Like I have to plan out our day tomorrow or our week? Or is it because there's something scary that I'm trying to cover up, right? I'm distracting. And and there might be other potential reasons as well, but those are like three ones that come to my mind immediately, like getting curious about what's the protection that this rumination might be offering my system right now. Because that might need different things. And this is what I, I work a lot with insomnia because that was part of my personal journey was also recovering from having insomnia my entire life. And especially at night, if you feel that rumination, like really feeling into that. And I sometimes picture my parts as, you know, small children within my system. And I think if I have a kid who's sitting next to me and they're, are they worried about their day tomorrow? Are they oh my gosh, I did, just did the coolest thing and like they really want to tell me about it? Or is there almost like a manic energy to, I have to keep talking, otherwise something bad will happen? So what's behind that energy? And can I help them feel safe and supported enough in order to soften back? And for an excited part, sometimes I'll, <laughs> the other night, I actually had a bunch of parts that were really excited about flying trapeze, about what I was doing in flying trapeze. And they just like, they just wanted to talk about it. Like they just wanted to be like, whoa, that was so cool. Like, what did we do? And I was like, okay, y'all clearly have a lot of energy. I'm going to make you a bouncy house. And they're just, they just like went in their bouncy house. Like just that some way to kind of discharge that energy in a way that doesn't feel like I'm punishing or restricting, but being with and understanding what's the unmet need here. Wait, how did you make a bouncy house? I need to know. I need in to- my head. <laughs> oh, okay. So you literally yeah. in your head were just like, yep. are y'all get a bouncy house? And you just kind of That's imagined right. re- those parts redirecting and bouncing around? Yeah, I offered them the option. I just said, hey, do y'all want this bouncy house? They were like, yes, we do. And they just went in there and they kind of went nuts. And I just, I sat outside and I just witnessed them. And I was like, they really... Because again, if you think about like what would a what would a small child potentially need in order to be supported with whatever their big feelings were? How do you do that reparenting that I'm going to say safe containment of yeah, this isn't too much for me. You are not too much for me. And here I can offer you some options on how to regulate. Um and with a worried part They might need reassurance, like self is here. My adult self is here with you. You don't have to hold this worry alone. They might need a reminder that 
when we get sleep, we tend to do better in the future. And also that our best laid plans are usually disrupted by getting more information in the future, right? We usually end up doing something different when we have the information of the moment. You just thought made me uh, spark a thought. What, and I'm just going to ask you as a side note, what is the part that speaking of, you know, the future and disrupting plans, what is the part that wants to like, what did they call rehearse, rehearse a conversation <laughs> over and over? Uh-huh. Is that like a rehearsal part? <laughs> like what is, what's actually, what's generally the need of that part? You know, like you're, you haven't even had the conversation yet, but it's like going over it and over it and over it in your head. And you're like, Hey, this isn't going to be our first rodeo. We've had lots of conversations. We can do this. <laughs> like, why are we rehearsing something that hasn't happened? Yeah. So one of the biggest things about being a practitioner is staying curious rather than putting something on that part. So contextually, like I would say, hmm, well, what if we were what if we were to ask it? You know, how could we get just a little bit closer to it and just ask, like, what are you worried might happen if I don't rehearse this? Oh, okay. Yeah. So what's the concern? Really curious. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I assume that you have a really good intention for me, because all parts have good intentions, that doesn't mean that the behavior is good, right? Like there can be some really problematic, (laughs) extreme behavior of, you know, parts that are stuck in extreme roles. But Mm -hmm. if you assume as a baseline that all parts have good intentions for you, Mm -hmm. What are they trying to solve or what are they trying to protect you from? So just saying like, hey, I I see that it's really important to you to rehearse this conversation right now. And might you be willing to share with me what do you think might happen if you don't, if you don't do this? Uh, I love that. It really is leaning in rather than because rather than denying you know, or judging because it's so easy when all these parts show up, especially when you're trying to do all this growth work. It's almost like it can become too easy to just want to be like, no, we're not going to be that way anymore. No, we're not going to do this. No, we're not going to have those feelings. Like, no, we're not, you know, it's stop ourselves, pattern interrupt, distract, like judge, ridicule. And what you're offering is like, even more compassion, even more curiosity, and actually just asking. Right. Yeah. And those parts that want to shut it down, asking uh, them too. Those are parts too, huh? Gosh, yeah. we are so many parts. <laughs> yes, I had. We're so fragmented. <laughs> my, well, and the thing is though, that when you do your healing work, I think what you're doing is you're learning how to integrate and you're learning how to help your parts work with you as a team. Trust that they have this internal wise, sturdy leader and that together you can do everything that you need in order to, to be safe and to thrive. And that there are new options now because you're not five, you're not 10 anymore. So my feeling is that you're probably going to say very much the same thing, but just in case you have anything to add, um, as far as when I mentioned the whole trigger factor, if you are somebody who is triggered and then, but you're also the person who's able to not get super caught in that trigger and reactive and you can step back, what are some ways that we can begin to really understand and learn and connect with 
why we're still being triggered. Mm. Yeah, compassion first, always. Um, Parts and people are always going to be more able and willing to listen and interact when they feel heard and understood first. So, so wow. don't don't react mm-hmm. and then <laughs> go to your room and say, "Oh, I can't believe I just acted that way. It's so embarrassing. God, I'm such an idiot. I told myself I wouldn't do that again." <laughs> well, or if you did, honor that part too. You know, uh, react. So wherever you catch yourself yeah. is where you meet yourself with compassion. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So that reaction to the reaction is probably coming from another part. Because if you do something that you're like, I don't want to do that, there might be another part that's like, well, it's my job to keep that part from doing that because parts can have relationships. And parts are often stuck in what we call um, polarized relationship. So a really common example is an achiever and what I'll call a, a lazy part. Although, honestly, I don't believe that laziness exists. <laughs> I think it's a BS word. But um, so you might have a part that's always pushing, 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 pushing. And then another part whose job it is to slow you down. And together, what they're trying to do is they're trying to achieve balance, but they're stuck in this like, well, I'm going to pull. Well, then I need to pull. It's like, you know, they're on a a seesaw together and they can't, one of of them gets off, your system's going to like shoot up into the air. So there's this process of understanding when I have a reaction and I have a reaction to that reaction, there might be a system polarity there where those parts are in relationship, have been in relationship for a long time and have jobs that are almost in relation to each other. So just adding that kind of layer of possibility for folks and coming back to adding space. So kind of breathing in some space for your system, offering compassion to anything that's showing up that Part, the part that had the initial reaction and then the part that thinks that you're bad and wrong for having it. And then bringing that curiosity. When you feel, when parts feel heard and understood, they're able to soften back and unblend from you enough that you'll, that natural curiosity will emerge. One of the things that you have said several times now was about feeling safe and how we've already obviously addressed like, okay, most of these parts are acting out or doing what they're doing because it's a survival mechanism for safety, generally a false security, right? What happens when you do have a very strong part or parts within you that truly does not feel safe in your body and you continue to try to just tell it you're safe because, you know, there's a lot of tools and practices out here in the mind-body world that's just like, place your hand on your heart and just say, I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm okay. I'm safe. But for anyone out there listening who knows that they have a part in their body that doesn't feel safe, that's very inauthentic. That's like, I'm actually saying, I'm okay. I'm safe. And I'm just sitting here lying to myself that's what those parts are screaming. Like, uh, you're lying because no, we're not. Okay. Hello. No, we're not safe. And so, you know, for some people that might be enough to just say, I'm safe. I'm okay. But for other people that feels almost more unsafe because then now they feel like there's this essence of lying happening, you know, or inauthenticity. So what do we do and how can we begin to really bring in and connect that feeling of safety when it's, like kind of that extreme. 
So there's a lot of what I'll call like resourcing techniques that aren't necessarily all IFS that can in general like increase a felt sense of safety in ways that actually feel legitimate. Um, one of the things that I'll do a lot with clients when they are really not feeling safe is see if I can go to that part of them that feels really unsafe and help help them build that part something within their system that feels like a safe space. So that's different for different people and different for different parts. I once had a part that felt really, really, really unsafe and I offered it like sometimes my part's like a hotel room. Weirdly, it's like something that feels really safe for a lot of my parts. I offered it that. It was like, nope, somebody could come in. That's not okay. And I was like, okay, what if we put it in you know, a portal that only you have access to? And it was like, no, this isn't working for me. And what it ended up needing to feel safe was an island <laughs> that no one could get to with a treehouse with a unicorn protector underneath. Like this was what this part needed, right? In order, and we just kept like being curious, like what, what would help, what would feel safe enough? right? Like what if you, if this is, you have your own magical world inside of you where you feel perfectly safe, what is that like? Now that may not work for everybody, but I'm offering that in case it does work for someone. The other thing that really helped me was adding a bound to that mantra. So the one that I sometimes use is right here, right now I'm safe. And that means within the moment I said that. And that's easily provable because nothing happened when I said it. Now, if you're in pain, right, you may not feel safe. And I totally get that. And that's a whole other, I think, topic, learning to feel safe when your body is in pain. Oh, it's just, it's so hard. Just so much compassion for that. Um, But if you aren't actively in pain and it's more like, oh, my body really doesn't feel safe, even though quote, objectively, cognitively, I am safe, you could try right here, right now, I'm safe, which literally means like in the seconds it took you to say that. Sometimes that might feel less false to your system because you can say, I was, it was true. And then you can kind of expand your felt sense of safety from there. So getting both of those things are around any way that you can start to feel just a little bit safer, get just a little bit closer, that doesn't feel like you're lying to yourself or forcing something. Is it really common for us to cognitively and consciously feel safe, but have like our body not feel safe and still running in a, like operating in a way that might be like, yeah, and shut down or sympathetic because there's a lack of sa- internal safety? Yes. Mm. And I would say that, especially because in general, um, a lot of cultures encourage disconnect from the body. So we have a lot of parts who part of their burden and their job is to keep us out of our body. And that also being really normal, understandable, and common in like chronic pain, um, chronic condition community, because you have some really good evidence potentially, right, that your body doesn't feel like a safe place to be because it's on fire or, you know, something terrible is happening. Um, so, yeah, I, that's really common to have a lot of different parts whose job it is to keep you out of your body, which disconnects the things that your body knows from the things that you are able to cognitively know. Um, and I'd argue that we don't really feel cognitively that feeling does happen in our body. So, so we might say, well, I should feel safe. I am safe, obviously, and be totally disconnected 
from how we actually feel. Yeah. So speaking of that, and also, you know, you talk a lot, we're talking a lot about how we can like be curious and check in with our parts. And, you know, you're able to determine that your part needed an island with a treehouse. What about when we are that disconnected? What about when, you know, there's somebody listening, they're like, I hear you, but like, I've tried to be curious. I've tried to check in with my sensations. I've tried SE. Like, I ask what it is. I ask what's going on, you know, and I just don't get answers. Like, what about when we're that disconnected? Like, where do we begin? How do we get back online to that? Because sometimes when you aren't hearing this response that you aspire to hear from your parts and you're not tapping into that internal wisdom, it can feel really um, discouraging. Yeah. First, just compassion to anyone who's listening that's going through that. Gosh, that's hard. And I can imagine it might feel just frustrating and like dead ends and no one can help me. And oh, that's so hard. It's such a hard place to be in. Um, I would offer the possibility that there might be a part that is intentionally blocking the connection. So anytime you feel, I love the quote, what's in the way is the way. So I would get curious about the block. If there was a block, why might that be here and what might it mean? And I think that um, when you are potentially that activated or dissociated, or you just, you haven't had a felt sense of what it feels like to be open and curious yet, that's where being with a therapist or a practitioner can be really helpful. I know not everyone has access to that, but it can be hard to hold space for yourself when you don't feel like you have space. Uh, or maybe like a trusted person, right? Just just having somebody else's open and curious energy with you to help support that can really uh, make a difference. And and learning about how dissociation is really protective, and you know, because because none of these coping mechanisms are bad. They all exist because they they probably saved your life, right? They helped you at some point. They helped you survive. So they're here for a reason. Again, if you are blocked. You're blocked because there's a really good there was a really good reason for you to be blocked. And my academic parts and my scientist part wants to offer that there's a lot of research and a lot of knowledge now in the trauma therapy world and the trauma healing world about working specifically with dissociation. Um, actually, a lot of like movement practices can sometimes really help people to quote, wake up. And again, I know that can be complicated with where your body might be in terms of ability. Um, but one thing that gets mentioned a lot in the trauma program is, is finding somebody to throw a ball back and forth with, like just catching a beach ball. So what it, what's a way that can sort of re-engage you just a little bit that feels like it's safe, like to help you feel maybe in rhythm and attuned and connected and not quite so isolated and alone. And there's a lot of information out there about dissociation specifically. And I'm going to say thawing, thawing from kind of that, that response. Mm -hmm. So you had already mentioned, you know, when it could be beneficial to have someone else hold space. You also kind of preface that not everybody can afford, you know, to have like an IFS specific type of coach. Um, Do you feel this is something that somebody can do on their own with a little bit of research and just, I want to say, not persistency, but consistency, like consistent pr- 
practice of showing up for that, those parts over, even if it is the blocking part and just say, all right, you might not want to talk to me today, but I'm here. I'll check in tomorrow. You know, like that, like, do you think it's possible or do you feel we really do need like somebody else to have hold that space? Yeah, I don't only think it's possible. I know it's possible. I will say that I don't know that it's possible for every single person's system. It's system dependent. I have somebody that I'm I'm assisting in an IFS training right now. And one of the trainers has stated that they don't feel that they can do work in their own system. They feel that they need somebody to be with them. I have done work in my own system. I've actually done really big pieces of work in my own system. And there has been some work that I have needed external support and holding in order to do. Um, So there's a spectrum of where people's systems are at in the present and also what your system might need in the future. But IFS in general very much teaches that it is very possible for people to do that work on their own, at least to a certain extent, even if it's just starting to build that relationship, starting to befriend the parts. You might not get to like the unburdening or kind of the deep healing without support, but you can begin to kind of befriend, right? And and that that just might be the compassion that I'm talking about. Like what you, I think what most of us would prefer is going around feeling like we've got like our best friends in us and we've all, like all of our parts, we all got each other's back, right? Rather than fighting and then kind of being enemies. So like foster, beginning to foster that I do think is possible for a lot of people on their own. There's a ton of information out there about IFS. A lot of it's free. Some of it's the things that aren't free are frequently inexpensive, Um there are group programs, right, that are that are far less expensive. So there, I think there is a pretty big spectrum of options depending on access and also depending on your comfort level. Different people, depending on um, your relational attachment and kind of like your sense of safety with other humans, there might be a period of time where it feels safer for your parts to do the work with you. Do you feel like it's something we need to do forever? parts work? Because it sounds like we have lots of parts potentially to explore and become friends with. So what I'm going to say is it's something that I want to do forever. Every Again, everyone is going to be different. And I think that some systems are going to say, this is the awareness that's really important to me. This is, you know, but, but once I get to here... I kind of just want to engage in life and I don't necessarily need this, I'm going to say, awareness floating around in me all the side, all the time. I identify very much as a, as a seeker or perhaps I have a lot of parts that identify as seekers. I always want to get deeper and I and I want to know more and I, I, I want to go to the next level. I don't think I would have become an IFS practitioner if I didn't have that deep sense of curiosity, not just from my self-energy, but also from a lot of my parts. So I I have no desire to stop, but I certainly wouldn't be prescriptive and say, oh, everyone needs to do it all the time because that's not the point. The whole point is, you know you and you're getting in touch with what you need and meeting your own needs. Yeah, that's good. So we already know that you obviously um, have a career business uh, working with the internal family systems for your clients. Could you share with us how people can connect with you and like just are what you're offering as far as just one-on-one or group programs and things like that. 
Yeah. So um, I am on Instagram. I imagine this probably will be in the show notes. It's at Chrisana LLC. Chrisana is the name of my business. And I also have a website. It's the same, LLC.com. My offerings right now, I do offer ad hoc kind of one-off sessions, but I offer for a little bit less. I do six-week packages. And that's just because a lot of times for many systems, um, it take a little bit more of that commitment to start to get to know your parts and understand the process of the model. It's very experiential. It's very about being with. And I think for a lot of us, that's not necessarily something we're used to. So it, it can feel not odd in a scary way, but it, it takes some practice in order to understand how can I be with. Yeah. Um, so I just, I, I don't require it, but I incentivize it by taking some of the cost off if people do that six weeks. Nice. Yeah. Um, and one message for the world question. If you could only spend your life sharing one message for the rest of your life, what would you want your one message to be? You have everything that you need inside of you. I just genuinely believe in the power of, I'm going to call it the human spirit, but in IFS, we call it the self. I want everyone to feel that, you know, to feel that belief. Like anyone who's listening, you truly and genuinely do have everything you need inside you. And you might have really good reasons for not believing that, but it's true. And um, trust yourself. Thank you so much. Thanks for chatting with me. I feel like I could ask you like so many more questions. Uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, you ask fantastic questions. It's flown by. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I looked at the time. I was like, oh my God, how did this already <laughs> become an hour? <laughs> I know. It just happens sometimes. Like we'll have like a guideline of questions and I'll get through like one or two and then it's just, you know, sparks thoughts. I always find those the most interesting conversations to listen to personally. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure not only meeting you, but also just getting to kind of pick your brain. I think you're really well spoken and I really love how you articulated everything today and I appreciate it. And I have no doubts that that will be supportive for somebody who's listening. So yeah. Thank you so much. Friends, that is all for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I hope you enjoyed this deeper dive into the IFS model with all of the many parts that we have. I hope that it inspires you to begin exploring and becoming friends with your various parts. If you find value in the content in this podcast, please consider supporting future episodes with a donation today you will find the link in the show note called support this podcast. And if you haven't done so already, give us a follow on the gram at our power is within. And until next time, make this week great. Oh, no.